All right. So Ephesians chapter 2 is our reading for today. For those of you guys online, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you guys to go ahead and grab those or on um, your phones if you want to go through that or if you just want to listen along. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power, power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved." and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of you transferring us out of death into life through your son, Jesus. And and Father, as we talk about vocation today, I pray that we would be able to see who we are and whose we are in you and you alone. Father, we thank you so much for your gift uh, of love and kindness and being rich in mercy to bring us all together under your name. Father, allow us to uh, continue to be focused, to, to study your word, to be in what you're speaking to us today including myself, Lord. And uh, Lord, I also give a shout out to my wife for helping me, uh, for using her uh, to speak through me and to speak to me in this message as well, Lord. Uh, Thank you for her wisdom and for um, her kindness as well. Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So we are continuing on in our uh, sermon series called Vocational Training. And I I just want to first start off by saying this. Um, it's kind of hard for me to talk about vocation uh, in, the, in the context that we usually talk about vocation because normally we talk about it from kind of a very compartmentalized version of, of talking about being a doctor or whether you're a lawyer or you're a stay-at-home mom or whether you are a nurse Be- because the reality is, um, I don't know if you know this, but Pastor Josh and I are not professionals in any of those realms at all right? I am not a nurse. I, it would be hard for me to be a, a teacher, to be a doctor. Um, that would be a lot of schooling, and I'm not very great with school. Um, but the, the way that I want us to be able to talk about vocation for us today is through this context and through this definition. So vocation is not what you do. It is who you are in what you do. I think so many times when we talk about vocation in churches, we can see it from a very just one-sided view of of this is what your job is, and this is how you should honor God with your job. And and that's good, but what does it look like when your vocation isn't tied to this compartmentalized version of how we normally talk about this idea of vocation? So, So what does it look like to talk about vocation to someone who's trying to work a full-time job while not getting paid enough and even though they look around, they see their neighborhood and their town is thriving, 
They are living paycheck to paycheck trying to survive. Or or what does vocation look like to someone uh, who is being pulled in both directions as being a a full-time father and a full-time employee when you're always on call in both of those different realms and you can't make time for your kids or for your wife or for yourself because work is too demanding? I think being able to start with this definition of vocation is not what you do, it is who you are in what you do that will help us get alongside as far as seeing where God is pointing us, what his design is for our purpose. And the reality is this, I can come up here and I can try to share with you guys all of these different answers, all of these different ways to think about things, but the reality is, is I can't give you guys answers because I don't live the life that you guys live right? We all have different experiences, and some of them are shared experiences, but I can't come up here and give you the one definite answer, right? But my hope is that during this time, you guys will be able to see and hear different questions that allow you to wrestle with God, to wrestle with his word, to wrestle with your life in order to see where is God calling me most in my life? So we're going to kind of work through this groundwork of vocation because if vocation is not what you do, it is who you are in what you do, then the question is, well, who are you in what you do? Because you could be a a really great doctor, a really excellent surgeon, and you could be a terrible person at the same time, right? You could be an amazing mother, and you might be a, a really... Uh, poor, you might be very poor at doing your job as maybe a waitress, right? Or a CEO. There's so many different ways to look at how we look at vocation, but who are you in what you do? And I think that vocation is really tied into this identity, and I think Paul understood that as well. You see, Paul was uh, not only someone who was just this great church planter, right? We, we talk about Paul as being like this founder of, of the faith and, and helping people to see Jesus, all these people who are far from God he brought close, which is an amazing thing for Paul. But we have to understand is when we dive into Ephesians, his vocation is an inmate, He was in jail when he wrote this letter. And it could have been so easy for him to just sit in prison and think, oh man, why did I even do this? Why did God even tell me that I should go and share the word of God to to all these Gentiles and put me in the position that I'm in? You see, Paul had an understanding of what it meant to be a child of God, to be grounded in his identity and in his vocation. And so as we get into his reading in chapter 2, I think there's some good things for us to be able to draw from here. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, if you guys want to read along, again, it's not going to be on the screens. This is what Paul says, as for you, as for y'all, y'all were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, including Paul himself, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of our wrath. So so Paul talks about, here's your identity where you once were. You were once dead in your sins and in your trespasses. 
I don't know if you've ever seen, this is going to sound extremely morbid, but if you've ever seen like a dead animal on the side of the road, or maybe you've been to a wake before, like seeing something that is dead, like they have no function. There's nothing left for them to do. And he says, at one point, all of us together, including myself, were dead in our sins and our trespasses against God. God wasn't in the picture when we were living this life. We were craving the desires of our own flesh. And, and Paul later on in some of his other letters spells out some of the different cravings of the flesh, like uh, sexual immorality, anger, malice, all of these in different things, these obscene talking, right? All of these things that we try to fill ourselves up with and try to satisfy the desires of our flesh, but will leave us in the end broken, unsatisfied, and dead. So, so, so Paul says, at one point you were dead in your sins. And he keeps going. He doesn't leave us there. Verse 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, you, you were once dead, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us not dead, but made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. At once you, you satisfied the desires of the flesh. At one time we, we tried to gratify our own needs and put ourselves before other people and didn't care about those other people. We just wanted to satisfy ourselves, but now, but God being rich in mercy, even while we were still dead, even while we were still sinners. He has transferred us from death into life with his son, Jesus. Last week, Pastor Josh talked about uh, exile, right? Being exiled from, from Israel and going to Babylon. And, and exile literally just means like an exit sign, Right? You leave one place and you go to another. And at one time, we were exiled from the life that God wanted from us. And what Paul is trying to say is, look, God has brought about an exile to exit you from the place of death into a place of life with his son, Jesus. So we went from being exiled in death to, to being alive in Christ. And then he sums it up in, in this end of this verse, chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are God's workmanship. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He sums it up. He says, from, from death to life, the reason why he's transferred us from death to life is because we are God's handiwork. We are God's workmanship. Another translation says, for we are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared us in advance to do. So, so, so this language that Paul is using, we are God's handiwork, workmanship, masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus. You see what Paul is doing here? He's using creation language. He's using creation language to say, look, your vocation is tied into your identity, which is all the way tied to the very creation of the entire world. Okay, so, so if that's true then, let's take a look. Let's go back 
in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 because what was God's original plan for us to walk as, as humankind throughout this earth? What was God's purpose for us? I think that we'll be able to find something there. All right, so I want you guys to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28. So the context of this is God is creating all these different things, right? God created the world in how many days? Six days, and then rested on the seventh, right? Trick question, right? On the sixth day, he says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Our image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, which 930 serves, you guys are killing You guys are doing a great job at being fruitful and multiplying. There's so many kids, it's insane. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Just go back with me. uh, Verse 26. Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that... There's the purpose. They may rule over the fish within the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move on the ground. Wait a second. God is, God is creator. God speaks things into creation. And if he speaks it into creation, that means that he's over all of creation, which means he rules over it. And now what he's doing, he's telling created things, humankind, to be just like him. To to be able to partner with God and to co-rule over all of the creation that he has given to us. What God is doing here in our vocation and in our identity found in Christ is he wants to partner with us in all of creation. This is, this is crazy. Think about when you go back through the Old Testament, think about some of the same patterns that we see in this kind of co-partnership with uh, God and with other humans. So think back to last week when uh, Pastor Josh was talking about Daniel. Daniel was partnered with King Nebuchadnezzar in order to rule over, right? Uh, the last time that I preached, which was, you guys probably forgot about it, but it's okay. Uh, we talked about Joseph, how he partnered with Pharaoh in the midst of a famine to bring about the health and the wealth of the nation, Think about the partnership that Moses and Aaron had together in partnering with each other to move the people from Israel out, I'm sorry, move the people out of Egypt into Israel, into the promised land, a partnership there. David and Samuel, we had King David and we had Samuel who had called David and said, look, you are going to be the next king. There's a partnership that's happening here. And so what we see throughout scripture is a partnership that God invites us to, not only with other people, but also with God himself. You see, we have a God that not only creates and and walks away from his creation. We we have a God that creates and says, no, I want you to partner with me. I want to do this life with you. 
And we see that in, in chapter 1 of Genesis, but also if you keep going to ch- Genesis chapter 2, what God does is he plants this little garden, and he places his humans in the garden to work and take care of it. And later on in that scripture, what we see is God is walking with his creation. We don't have a long-distance God. We, we have a God that, that brings us close to him. And then literally in chapter 3, all hell breaks loose, right? We, we, we get into the fall. We, we listen to the serpent. We take of the fruit that we shouldn't be taking from. And then what happens is that God exiles his people out of the garden into a chaotic world because God can't be in the presence of sin, and so what Paul is doing here in chapters, uh, chapter 2 is he's spelling out, look, at one point you were once dead in your trespasses. At one point you were once Genesis 3. But now because of Jesus, what he's doing is that he's bringing about chapter 1 again. What Paul is saying is, look, there's this reversal that's happening in all of creation where once you were separated from God, and now he's bringing us back close to be in partnership with him through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. We were once dead in our identity, but now we are made live with Christ. We are now made alive with a resurrected Christ. So, that's great. Cool. We just went through all of Genesis 1 through 3, <laughs> and we just tackled Ephesians 2. So what does that have to do for me today in my vocation Well, I think it means that we have to redefine how we talk about vocation as a whole. And vocation is co-partnering with God in who you are, in what you do. Uh, So many times I think about the the ministry that Jesus had, and as he started his ministry, he goes up to a couple of fishermen, and he says, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come partner alongside me in this journey of doing life together to share about this kingdom that I'm bringing so that other people who are far away from me, other people who are dead and exiled from me, can be close. Come, partner with me. Come, walk alongside me. And and what's amazing is that vocation is as we partner with God in who we are and what we do, it's only because we have a resurrected Christ. And if we have a resurrected Jesus that still lives to this day, that means that we have eternal life with him. But that doesn't mean that we wait for eternal life to happen. Because the truth is that eternal life lives within us. And that eternal life starts now. So the question for today is how will you co-partner with Christ? What does it look like in your, not in your compartmentalized version of how we talk about vocation, but but in those different examples, what does it look like for you to co-partner with Christ, even in in the strangest situations? Uh, I'll give you an example. So two situations. So uh, for those traveling, right, even for myself, before I leave, I always say a prayer, whether I'm on the road, I don't close my eyes when I'm driving, but I say, I say, God, would you protect me as I get to my destination. And so I I arrive at my destination, all good, without a hitch, and then I'm like, thank you, God, for keeping me safe during this. 
Okay, so take that situation. Okay, if I'm going to a destination and I'm traveling and then I get into an accident. Oh, God, why? Why, God? I, I don't get paid until the 15th. I got to deal with insurance. I got to deal with the police. I have to trade insurances and take awkward pictures of people's licenses to send to my insurance and figure all this stuff out. God, why? Why? And in both of those situations, God remains the same. Our position changes, but God still remains the same. And so what would it look like for us to co-partner with Christ and maybe it's when you get into an accident, you're like, God, help me to learn what you're revealing to me in this moment. God, teach me about who you are as I'm struggling in this moment. It's a, it's a different prayer because it's a different position for how we look at partnering with Christ. And maybe you're in a spot this week, maybe you've been in a spot for a while that you are dealing with some sort of situation where you're thinking, why God? And, and that's okay. Bring those questions to God. But as we think about co-partnering with God, not only in our day-to-day -day jobs, not in our own titles, but in who we are, getting a chance to say, God, what, what are you teaching me in this moment? What are you revealing to me in this moment? And that might change the way that we look at what it looks like to co-partner with God in this thing we call life together. I'm going to open us up to a word of confession and absolution. And confession is just a time for us to just open up to God and say, God, here are the things that I'm struggling with. Here are the things that I've been holding on to. Here are the things that, God, I, I have no control. I feel dead. I feel like I have nothing to give in this situation. God, would you take this? Or maybe it's something you've been struggling with and you say, Jesus, I just, want you, I just want you to forgive this. I invite you guys to pray with me as we go into confession and absolution together. Father God, you are a good God in every situation. And God, we know that you are not a creator that creates and goes far from us, but brings us close through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ and in the empty tomb in the resurrection of him as well. And because of that, we are made alive in him. But God, sometimes it's easy for us to revert back to being dead and filled with sin. So God, I pray that in this time of silence together that we would just offer up the things that are bringing us down, Lord, the things that are preventing us from going to you as we offer that up in our partnership, in our friendship with you, God. Father God, you have met us here in this place. Father God, you, you meet us in your word you meet us in, in the bread, in the wine that you are going to provide for us this morning. Father, you meet us online. You meet us in our homes. Father, I, I pray that as we continue to share those burdens that are on our hearts, that the brokenness that's within inside us, God, that you would forgive us and allow it to be on the cross where your son has died for us in our place so that we can be from dead to alive in you.
because of what you've established in all of creation so that we can partner with you in this thing called life together. Father God, we ask for your forgiveness only through what you can do. For it is by grace that we have been saved. And all God's people said, amen.